Section 25 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by William Jones, Bonita Springs, Florida. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or the Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 24, Part 2 In the center of a natural clearing, lighted by the rising moon, which cast a long, coffin-shaped beam on the group, Henri the Handsome, his pistol still in his grasp, but the hammer down in the powder-blued pan, was gazing on the boy's dead body at his feet. A woman with disheveled hair and torn garments was kneeling over the corpse, crying, Henri, you have killed our son! There she fainted, bathing her face in the blood of the child, born in guilt, dead in crime. The chilliness of the morning brought her to herself, and she rose benumbed by the night's cold. Her mind seemed to have gone on thinking while she had been in the swoon, for she was resolved when she awoke. She disrobed the body partly, carefully put aside the clothes, and more carefully placed the remains in a hole in the rock which she built over with stones. On the crude pile she placed a plainly made cross, murmured what she remembered of a prayer over it, and stood up, the little packet of clothes in her shawl. She looked toward the camp of the scorchers, felt that a small pocket pistol was safe in her bosom, and turned away, thinking, I will bid mother good-bye first, and then, I then, will I die at his feet. She began to thread the crossing paths of the forest, but she had miscalculated her forces. The hard ground, too, was so unlike the elastic grass of summer that her stiffened limbs soon tired. Still she toiled on. Her clothes were very scant against such a morning's rigor. To add to all, when she had arrived in the more open country, a fine hard snow was falling, which pricked the exposed face like so many needles. So hard was it that the grains would not adhere to one another like flakes do, and far from uniformly covering the ground, collected in ridges and heaps. On she toiled. Captain Vassier had been out that night, or rather morning, with many of his men, though only two were yet with him, for the news of the robbers having been beaten off at the old farm, and the big Norman being shot, had been received by him, and he had thought he might be able to pick up the winged bird. He had different luck. As the three rode along, they espied coming towards them a countryman, whose three-cornered hat was pulled over his eyes against the sleet, for the riders brought the wind with them. When they first descried him, he was a mere black speck on the white. But as soon as he caught sight of the horseman, which happened after a while, he did not appear to be in any hurry to make their acquaintance, for he stopped, and after a look dropped behind a hillock, 
perhaps trusting that he could not have been remarked. But Captain Vusier had observed this suspicious proceeding. Spur, ordered he. Off the three went at a fast trot. Seeing himself discovered, the suspected man rose and cut across the fields to throw the mounted men off his track. Keep on his heels, commanded the officer. You all remain in the road and prevent him from taking to it again as he may. As he rode along, he suddenly perceived a kind of dark blot in the middle of the highway ahead. It was a woman, lying motionless and half covered with the drifts of icy particles. He reined in. Hello, are you asleep, my good woman? Finding no signs of life, he dismounted and acquired certainty that the woman was senseless and in a fair way to lose life. She presented a wretched aspect. Her feet torn through her tattered shoes bled slowly upon the ice. Her walking stick had fallen from her one hand, while the other and its arm stiffly encircled a small bundle. The sleet did not melt on her face or form. By temperament, as well as by profession, Captain Vasseur was not easily affected, yet he could not help great compassion moving him on, beholding the poor creature's deplorable condition. He leaned over her with interest, shook her and called her in vain. She did once open her eyelids the least bit, but almost instantly closed them in that slumber of death by cold. As the officer knew now that she breathed still, he hastened to wrap her up in his ample riding cloak and forced a few drops of brandy between her set teeth. He alone, and there, could not altogether accomplish the resuscitation. He looked around him. His companions were far off, still pursuing the three-cornered hat. Besides, they would not have been of any utility under the circumstances. Fortunately, not very distant from the spot was a little cabin hidden in the leafless brush yet denoted by the smoke curling out of the chimney. Its ragged raw thatch indicated no great wealth, but Vassir did not hesitate to take up the unconscious woman and stride up to the cottage as rapidly as his heavy boots with his spurs would let him. His horse followed him like the well-trained steed he was. The house was very comfortable, after all, on a nearer view. The garden had been well under cultivation. Beehives were carefully sheltered by a wall. A goat tied up was bleeding, and a cow was bellowing in the stable. Vasseur tied up his horse to the palings and walked into the cottage without knocking. An old woman was within, slowly turning a spinning wheel. On seeing what had happened and being instructed by the officer's sharp words, she sprang up and cheerfully enlarged the fire, made a hot posset of wine. On coming to chafe and warm the poor woman's hands, she uttered a loud scream, which astonished the captain. Franchette, Franchette, good heavens, my daughter, cried she, falling on her knees. She was dying, and you brought her to me, to me. How strange. See, she's coming, too. She opens her eyes, continued the old woman. 
she lives in fact franchette's features lost their power by degrees she became more and more animated but there was a fear that the sudden reaction would give her a fever they put her to bed with all the blankets on her the captain had meantime examined the bundle which contained a boy's clothes he believed for a moment that they had been stolen poor as they were when a weak voice raved under the coverings my boy my son where are you oh he killed him because he would not steal these words betokening a return of sense but not of command over the brain struck the mother with alarm and the officer with suspicion and amazement she's she's mad she's mad cried the old woman quickly her boy died long ago when a babe but franchette had sat up and looking at captain vassier turning over the contents of the bundle said earnestly please please don't touch em sir they're all that's left of my good little child the deuce ha ah, a babe wear the clothes of a boy of twelve cried monsieur what he would next have done is doubtful but whatever his intended move he was interrupted by hasty footfalls heard outside the back door of the cottage opened and in rushed a man with just enough breath to gasp kind folks i am hunted don't give me up Vassier promptly caught him by the collar and said one moment my man i want to talk with you nothing could equal the stupor of the stranger on pursuing his leap from the frying pan into the fire but he tried to escape nevertheless the officer's hold was too good and his hand too strong for that to be accomplished the red-eyed burgundy for this was the companion of the big norman found that cunning was his only resource he sat down on a stool beside the captain with affected resignation good heavens citizen officer what can you want with me hunting me over the country as you have i am a poor inoffensive soul who cannot guess why i am so troubled here's my paper he handed monsieur a greasy scrip which the latter scarcely deigned at a glance oh i suppose it's all right my good gerain mouscon otherwise the red eye of bourgogny who called at the farm in the hollow last night along with a gigantic knave the start of the rogue at this abrupt accusal confirmed its truth look here sirrah your sudden flight at sight of our uniforms is proof enough for your being guilty your character a part of a vagabond beggar and what not so i cannot let you go but i am innocent as a lamb i arrest you in the name of the law it will be better for you said the captain fixing his penetrative eyes on his shuddering prisoner to cease your useless lies and lamentations and gain the indulgence of the authorities by making a clean breast of it the government is stirring at last the national guard is arming and the regulars are coming in from all quarters there's no hope for the scorchers the brigand was shaken for he knew this was true they are lost 
the first ones who come in will be granted life, however guilty they may have been. Besides, a reward will be added to whoever tells who is the skillful chief of the band. A reward? exclaimed the red-eyed. A considerable sum. The brigand was convinced, and he was about opening his mouth when he was interrupted by a woman's voice. Traitor! Coward and liar! Woe to you if you sell him! The brigand looked at the bed. Hello? Franchette the tall? And her mother, old Caduc? What does this mean? It means that you had better be quick, or others will forestall you, interpolated the officer quickly. No, no, he lies, screamed Franchette, struggling with her wrappings and her mother. I won't betray him. He has led to all my shame and agony. He hates me, and has killed my boy. But I won't betray him, and won't have anyone else do it. I have loved him, and love him still. You speak of a murdered child, said Captain Vassier. Avenge him by peace. Cut me in bits. You shall not know him, my poor little one. Meanwhile, Germain had come to the conclusion that Franchette would let out the secret in her ravings, if not wittingly, determined on his course. My word of honor for what I promise, said the officer. Well, then, began the traitor, I will reveal all about our association. To begin with, and to prove my knowledge, the leader, the chief of the Scorchers, is known as Henri the Handsome to the world, as a sharp crack of a pistol echoed in the room, and the speaker with one eye sightless, for therein the tiny bullet had buried itself fell out of the officer's arms dead. The smoke filled the room. There was a confused moment. Captain Vassier made a spring to seize the slayer, but it was the old mother, and not Franchette, that he grasped. The door opened and a cold blast rushed in, while the mistress of the bandit leader flew out. In another moment a clatter of hooves were audible. The devil! thundered the officer flinging from him the old woman, who rolled over the dead traitor, and he dashed into the open air. On one side approached his two soldiers, on the other disappeared on her horse, the fevered Franchette, riding at full speed. No use chasing, said he, seeing that she was a country girl enough to have acquired tolerable horsemanship. Give me your horse, Handoni, while you arrest the old woman inside this house, and see if a man is dead. The man was dead, but if he was not to reveal the important secrets, another took his place. Old Caduc, on the promise of mercy being extended to her child, began to make known her acquaintance with the band of Origares as she rode in front of the captain. The chase was really begun at this moment. Darkness was again upon the forest. Its edge was being penetrated by a large body of soldiers, horse and foot, under command of Captain Vasseur, who guided his little army in accordance with what he had learned from old Caduc. It was a difficult task, 
and many a time he had almost given it up. But at last the appearance of a changing red glimmer gave all heart. The fire of the wretch's camp, said he aloud. Caution now, men. The curses of all honest men befall him who is hindmost at this pinch. The brigands were in their great cavern on account of the cold. The fire burned before its large mouth to heat the air that entered. They were all up and excitement, for not only had the news that Franchette had brought them on the stolen horse been confirmed by spies, but the last arrival had told them of the approaching army and of the complete confession of old Caduc. Franchette was pardoned by the chief for her services, and she had gone to sleep in a corner, almost happy. The fright of the villains knew no bounds. They would have rushed out of the cave, but Captain Henri stood between them and the aperture. Let none of ye stir, said he, growling in rage. You're a pack of cowards. Do you dare go against your leader's will? He drew a brace of pistols. I'll unroof the skull of the first who rebels. He thought they were more of soldiers. They were mere cutthroats. His attitude silenced their murmurings, and he had endeavored to overawe or decide them again. But they were listening not to him, but to the tramps of armed men, which they fancied they heard. Time was too precious for such hesitation to be prolonged. As a commander paused, exhausted by his own vehemence, Sailor Boy made himself spokesman and began, Let us go, Captain. You see, we're in a demoralized set. We'll be nabbed at a swoop with all this palaver. Yes, yes, I, I, speak to him, Sailor separated the furthermost of the crowd. But I will not have you scatter like thistle-seed. Am I not your chief? Oh, that's all bosh. Our gang's broken up, returned Sailor Boy, emboldened by the nudges and patterings on the soldier that he had received. Come now, stash that. Our lives go ahead of our laws. Hurrah! they began to cheer. But Henri's voice broke in. By all the horns of the devil, here you go on a voyage, my sailor boy. His pistol shot tore the ear of the rebel and entered the throat of the man behind him. The brigand chief changed his exploded weapon for the other, but he was not let use of it. They rushed upon him altogether and upset him in a twinkling, notwithstanding the increase of his natural powers by fury. A blanket was spread over his face to prevent him seeing who were the principals in the revolution of time-honored authority, and many hands held him down. He struggled fruitlessly. At length he felt the many grasps relax and be removed, but he was bound hand and foot with ropes. His assailants were moving away. He attempted to break free, but unsuccessfully. In a little while a small hand impatiently cut his bonds and pulled off the cloth blindfolding him. It was Franchette. He paid little attention to her, for his rage overcame his gratitude. The pistol which he had not fired off 
lay on the ground as if no one had dared to touch it. He caught it up, rushed through the opening, and leaped over the dying fire. Only a few boys and old women were in the neighborhood, and they were unworthy of his vengeance. Henri, Henri, screamed Franchette, what are you going to do? But he had seen his men running off or mounting stolen horses, which they had taken out of the stable cave. Cowards, only wait, roared he more like a wild beast than a human being. The chief, exclaimed the sailor boy in terror, confound whoever let him loose. Off they spurred, the shot following them uselessly. All of a sudden, like echoes to that report, detonations broke the stillness on several sides of the wood. After a few minutes, some of the bandits on foot began to return to the hunt, while the musketry began to rattle. The soldiers had surrounded the wood. Henri the Handsome thought no longer of punishing the rebels, who indeed were being summarily dealt with. He grasped Franchette's hand, and the two pushed through the underwood as Captain Vasseur and his men beat back the robbers in all quarters. The two fugitives managed to get through the lines and left the spot by some yards when three soldiers started up before them. Halt! cried one, and move and you die. The brigand chief stopped, but almost instantly sp sprang forward. The piece flashed in the pan. He was only a few feet from the soldier who attempted to club his musket, but Henri was too close and had him by the hair. He bent back his head and was about to cut his throat when the other soldiers fired at him. One bullet missed him, the other only went through and through the cords between the soldier and the neck, and then struck Fanchette in the bosom, as she came on to save her lover. I forgive, Henri, my ch— She breathed her last as the soldiers pinioned their prisoner. They let her lie there for a while. They led their captives to their commander— the open space in front of the cave, lighted by the fire which had been replenished, was full of dead, dying, and bound bandits, over whom the soldiers stood triumphant guard. As soon as Henri the Handsome could get beat, he begged the Captain Vasseur to let him see Purizons, the magistrate. "'Here he is,' said the officer coldly. "'What does the prisoner want?' inquired the magistrate equally icily. A word in private, answered Henri, downcast considerably by this manner. What? And the bandit chief, turning pale. I am a nobody at present, returned the magistrate, turning away. Captain Vasseur is about to take you to Chartres. Not till I repay your affection, kinsman of mine cried Henri the handsome with a return of his daring voice of old. By strength as well, by a trick well known by galley slaves, the speaker had freed his hands and drawn from his clothes a little needle of a dagger which he had known how to conceal from his searchers. But his feet were hampered, and, though Purison was unsuspicious, 
Captain Vasseur had been on the alert. In an instant, the brigand was overpowered and disarmed. Notwithstanding, the thinning out by jail fever, which had visited the numerous culprits and several escapes, eighty shot was the number of the band of scorchers brought to trial and to sentence of death and imprisonment. Of the twenty-three who were adjudged to the extreme penalty, the chief was naturally the foremost. He died handsomely, as the French criminals who envy this daring life jestingly say to this day. End of section 25